Here's the thing. We learned week one. Men and women are created to complete one another. I know it sounds cheesy, right? But this is what we learn as we read through Genesis 2, right? Is that God gave one another. He he gave us to one another so that we could better have the fullness of God between us, right? We are made in his image, and it's together that we most accurately reflect the fullness of God. God said to Adam, look, it's not good that this guy is alone. I need to make him a helper that is just right for him so that together it'll be very good. We are meant to be a gift to one another. This is where I encouraged you to look at your spouse and let them know that I am God's gift to you. And then I said, I was just kidding. Don't do that. I was kidding. Right? Don't do it. Because if you do that, it's not going to go well for you. But the truth is, you should be in your person, right, with your behavior and your attitude and your actions. You shouldn't have to tell your spouse, I'm God's gift to you. They should look at you and they should know. Right? And then we talked about the fact that marriage is meant to be a picture of the relationship that Christ has with the church. We read about that in Ephesians, right? That Christ and the church have this relationship, and, and a marriage is supposed to show people how Christ and the church are one and how Christ loves the church. And so what we learn from this is look, God has a stake in your marriage. Your marriage matters to God because your marriage paints a picture of God. It tells a watching world the way that Christ loves the church. And so your marriage needs to be up to par, right? God has a stake in your marriage because he wants it to reflect him well. He does not want to be reflected poorly, right? So your marriage matters. And because your marriage matters to God, here's the thing. It matters to Satan. And he wants to destroy it. Not just because it destroys your joy in this life but because it destroys the picture of God that it's supposed to paint of the way that Christ and the church are one. We learned that in marriage, mutual submission is a must. Ephesians 5.21 said this, says that we are supposed to submit to one another, men and women, husbands and wives, submit to one another out of reverence for Jesus Christ. Right? This isn't a matter of somebody being better than another, right? This isn't a matter of of men being over women or women being over men, but this is a call in Ephesians 5 that we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that submission looks different. Last thing we we talked about last week is, is that submission looks different for husbands and wives, right? Husbands, for us to submit to our wives means that we submit to unconditional love and care and concern that we put their needs first, that we love them like Christ loved the church, and he was willing to die for the church to make her holy and pure. Men, when we submit to our wives, it's to lead them in that way, to lead them with that kind of love. That's a tall order. And wives, when, when you submit to your husbands, you're to do so, Paul tells us in Ephesians 5, by respecting the leadership that God has given them for your home. Unconditional respect and honor. And this is the symbiotic relationship because we complete each other, because we paint a picture of the way that Christ and the church are one. And out of mutual submission, we love and we respect in a way that honors God and that makes him look good. It's the call for us in marriage.
And so today as we talk about physical intimacy, as we talk about sex, it's, it's with this backdrop that our marriages aren't necessarily just about us. Okay? And the thing about marriage is that, is that marriage um, is, is not, or I'm sorry, the thing about sex is that sex is not something that's always been taught well in the church. Historically, I'm not talking about Blessed Hope Community Church. I'm just talking about the church historically. We don't do this well. Like, like in the, um, I mean, I'll just read you a couple things here. St. Jerome, uh, the, the most respected early theologian in, the, in around 3 to 400 AD. So we're talking about very early church. Here's what St. Jerome says about sex. The begetting of children is allowed in marriage, but feelings of sensual pleasure are damnable. Right? So you can have sex if you're going to have kids, but if you enjoy it, oh, that's damnable. Thanks, St. Jerome. And then Peter Lombard was, was a second century, the Bishop of Paris, in charge of the church in Paris. And, and he's what he's, here's what he says about sex. The Holy Spirit leaves the room when a married couple has sex. Even, <laughs> even when they do it for the right reasons of making more babies. Right? Like, that is the only reason to have sex, and it's still so gross that the Holy Spirit leaves. <laughs> the church has done a, a traditionally a poor job talking about sex. We either don't do it, or, or we make it weird and, and kind of uncomfortable. And, and, and so the voice, the loudest voice, has been the voice of the culture. And the voice of the culture has told us this about sex. Sex is transactional. Right? Sex is, is just a physical act. That's all it is. Right? It's to be shared with whoever you want to share it with. And, and it's not necessarily something to be sacred. Something I've told you before, and we would have done this experiment today, but um, I know COVID, germs, whatever, it would have been weird, but you know, you, sex is sticky. Right? I know it sounds weird, but, but track me here. If I were to give you a piece of duct tape and you were to put it on your, your pant leg, right, it would stick well, right? Sex is sticky. But if you were to rip it off and pass it on to the next person and they would stick it on their pant leg and all the way through the congregation, every time the act happens, that adhesion that's meant to bind two people together, to take two people and make them one, this is what Adam says in the garden, right? Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, we are together, right? This is why a, a man leaves his mother and father and the two are united into one flesh. It's sticky, right? But the more you pass it up and down and you rip it off and push it down and rip it off and push it down and by the time you get to the end, it's not sticky anymore, right? It doesn't bind you together the way that God intended it to do. And our, our, our culture teaches that sex is transactional, that it's no big deal, we watch sitcoms that laugh about how sex is transactional. Even us devout Christians who know it's not true, we still watch these things and we chuckle at it. And then when our kids want to watch them, we're like, yeah, it's a funny show. Go ahead and watch it. And then we watch it with them and we're appalled. Like, what in the world were we thinking? I, I was talking about myself there. Because a show that I really, really enjoyed was Friends. Anybody watch Friends? You can admit it. Who, who really enjoyed Friends? Right? Yeah. Ross, Rachel, Joey, Monica, Phoebe. Right? These really poor young adults living in New York that always had money to go out to dinner and live in this really fancy apartment. 
man, they had sex a lot. And it was funny. Right? It's not like I wanted to go live that life, but, but we watched it, we laughed about it, it was funny. And then Aubrey said, hey, can I watch Friends? Sure. Friends is funny. And then she watches it, and then I'm sitting down with her, and we're watching an episode together. And it's the episode where Joey and Chandler get free porn because there's a problem with the cable, and they won't turn it off because they, they don't want to lose it. And I'm sitting here, and, and Aubrey and I are laughing at this, and I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> Pastor, <laughs> you've got a problem. Because the culture has made it so, listen, I know, like, listen, the culture has made it so normal. And the church has been so silent. We've got a problem. And I owe Aubrey like $20 now because I talked about her a lot, but she's not here till the next service. So I'm going to come up with a different example. (laughs) And let's just all keep this on the DL. (laughs) It's baseball season. I'm going broke. Anyway, here's the problem, right? Um, the, the thing with, with physical intimacy in marriage is that we, as we saw from the video, we just don't always feel the same way about it. Right? We just don't always feel the same way about it because intimacy is different for men and women. Remember we said last week it was Emerson Egrich from Love and Respect. He, he kind of framed it this way. Men, it's like we have blue hearing aids and blue tinted lenses on and, and, and women with the pink hearing aids and the pink tinted lenses. And so we see things differently and we hear things differently and we feel and receive intimacy differently. And sometimes that can cause problems when it gets to sex and marriage. Right? And so we've gone over this before, but just as a reminder, everybody in your family is going to spell intimacy differently. Anybody that has children know that children are going to spell intimacy T-I-M-E, time. They are insatiable when it comes to your time. If you've got little kids at home, can I get an amen? Like literally. Thank you. I mean, I'm like, that that was a a literal (laughs) ask. You guys have got to work on that intimacy. Kids want your time. That's how they experience intimacy. They want your time. They'll take all of it if they can. And if at the end of the day, you decide that you need 15 minutes by yourself to recharge and refresh and get your mind right, they will look at you like you've just disappointed them. Even though you've spent the last four hours catering to their every need. That's how they spell intimacy. They're insatiable. Wives, Spell intimacy, T-A-L-K. Not all, but most. Talk. The way that wives tend to, women tend to express intimacy is they talk. They want to be heard. They want to be listened to. They want to be known. This is why some of the worst things I can ever do when I'm having a conversation with Carrie is ask her a question she's already answered. Because what does that tell her? You're listening to me, but you're not really listening to me. And really, it's just that I have such terrible short-term memory that I'm listening and I still can't remember. But, But the problem is, right, that's not me. Like, I don't ever get home at the end of the day and just be like, you know what? I need to talk at you. We need to talk. But when, when, when I get home at the end of the day, sometimes that's what Carrie wants to do, is just debrief, have a conversation unload. Men spell intimacy S-E-X. 
Again, not always, but a lot. Right? For them, it's the physical connection that brings intimacy. The reason this matters as we get going here is because we have to understand that none of these are better than the other. A man's need for physical intimacy is not different than a woman's need for emotional intimacy. We, we achieve those goals differently, but the drive is just as strong. And what's easy for us to do, right, it's easy for us to say, well, this is just normal. It's just conversation, and it's fine. And we kind of put down the drive and the need for sex because we say, well, that's something different. Right? No, no, no. These are God-given things. Remember, like, like God in the garden creates men and women to complete each other, but he doesn't create them identical. And it wasn't by mistake, and it wasn't an accident, right? Men have more testosterone than women that creates this drive. God didn't do that on accident. He didn't run out of testosterone when he took the rib to make the woman. He wasn't like, man, I don't have enough testosterone. I guess I could run to the market. Or you know what? I got this extra estrogen. I'll just throw that in there instead. It's fine. He wasn't substituting because he was short. It's by design. It's intentional. It's on purpose, right? The drives that we have, the desires that we have, the ways that we are connected with, those are God-given, and they're broken because of sin. They're broken because of sin, and Satan wants to exploit them, and we have to be really careful about how this works, right? Because sex is one of the ways that Satan will jack up a marriage. Jacks up a culture. All right, so let's dig in. Uh, We're in 1 Corinthians. We're going to look at uh, a few verses, and we're going to look at them a little out of order just because it'll, it'll help us um, as we understand what Paul's trying to say here. But we're going to start with the second half of verse 2 through 4. You can read in your Bibles or you can look on the screen. This is the NLT. Paul says this, each man should have his own wife. By the way, that word have is what you think it means, right? We're talking about physical, sexual intimacy, right? Let's just, let's be clear. Um, Each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's sexual needs. The wife gives authority over her body to the husband and the husband gives authority of his body to the wife. And so as we get into this, we we start to see here that that Paul maps out a couple of things for us in this text, right? The first thing is, is that just sex is part of God's good plan, right? And, And Paul is just acknowledging that in this text. He's like, look, inside of marriage, each husband should have his own wife, and and each wife should have her own husband, and you shouldn't deny each other sexually, but you should give authority of your body over to your spouse, and they should give authority of their bodies over to you. Listen, this is a mutual submission. Go back to Ephesians 5.21. This isn't anybody lording it over another person. This is a mutual submission. We, We submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, right? Ephesians 5.21, and this is, this is part of how this works. And, and it's, sex is just normal in marriage. It's God's plan. It's the way that he designed it. And here's the thing. It's meant to be good. I mean, let, let's be honest. We go back to what St. Jerome says about, like, look, it's only for children. Man, if there's passion there, that's damnable, right? The Holy Spirit is leaving the room. He wants nothing to do with this. But, but the problem with that is, is, is that would indicate that God somehow made a mistake when he made sex feel good. And God didn't make a mistake when he made sex feel—you ever watch Gremlins? I promise it, it, it works. You're like, well, where's he going? It, it'll be okay. 
Who's seen Gremlins? Like the 1984 thriller. I was so excited to watch Gremlins when I was, I was like eight. And we went. It was, it was pretty intense. It was the cute little mogwai, Gizmo. But if he eats after midnight, he turns into the gremlin and wreaks havoc. Steven Spielberg, whatever, watch it. Um, that's one that'll be okay. You can watch it with your kids. Um, but, but here's the thing. I think... I think it'll be okay. I think you can watch it with your kids. You know there's a website you can go to that's called kidsinmind.com, by the way, and it will, it's actually, it's it's something we discovered later, and I wish we'd have known about it earlier, but kidsinmind.com will actually go through a movie with you and tell you about, well, here are the things to know, here are the scenes that might, you know, need a little explanation, here's why you maybe should stay away from it, or here's why it's okay. It's worth watching from a Christian perspective. Anyway, um, Gremlins... When Gizmo got wet, um, like these little things popped off of him and made new Gizmos, right? So, so made new Mogwai. And so there was one of them, but now there's six because he got five drops of water on him and each drop of water made a new one, right? God could have done reproduction in any way, but he chose sex for us human beings, his creation made in his image. He chose sex. And so here's what we know that it's okay that it's pleasurable. It's not a bad side effect that he wasn't intending. It's something good. Sex and marriage is supposed to bring joy and oneness to your marriage. It's supposed to be good, right? But the reason that it's supposed to be within the marriage is because the reason it's so good in marriage is because it binds us together. It's supposed to bring husband and wife intimately close and, that, and that's a relationship that can't be duplicated anywhere else. There is no other relationship that's supposed to be similar to that. Right? You don't, you don't get that with your, your friends. You don't experience that oneness with your friends. You don't experience that oneness with other members of your family. You don't experience that oneness with coworkers. You, you're just not supposed to experience that anywhere else but in the marriage relationship. And, and so, you, you know, we look at this and, and the world will teach us, our culture wants to teach us that our idea of heterosexual marriage and sex only happening within marriage and only that being the right way. Listen, our culture wants to teach us that that's wrong, that that's outdated, that that's a construct that the church has created to try to control people's behavior. It's what the culture wants to tell us. The the culture will tell us that the church just wants you to feel guilty about doing what's natural. The church just wants you to feel guilty about following your heart. But listen to me, that's not the case. God ordained this for our pleasure, for our good, and it's to be enjoyed within the context of marriage. Here's what we know about sex, right? That marriage is the divine context, and it is a beautiful responsibility and privilege of marriage. I had a, a former pastor, Jerry Schrick, he, he used to talk about when he, when he would preach about sex, like it was uranium. Like in, in, in the right context, and it could power cities. In the wrong context, it could create devastation and destruction like you haven't seen. Right? And, and the, this is the understanding that we have with sex. In the right, it is a beautiful responsibility and privilege of marriage. And we go back to the text, Right? And we see that it's not just a one-way thing. See, here's the other thing we think in marriage, and we saw it and we laughed about it in the video, is that it's a one-way thing, right? That men desire sex more than women, that husbands desire sex more than their wives, and therefore um, it's, 
it's just a one-way street. But here we read this, that sex is actually intended to, to, make, to be something that, that is desirable to both. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and guess what? The wife should fulfill her husband's. There's mutual desire that happens there. And so we understand that, that desire plays a part of this. Both people in marriage have sexual needs. And that desire is healthy. If you read through the book of uh, the Song of Songs, the Song of Solomon, I'm not going to read it to you. If Mark Johnson were here, I would ask him to read it for you, and he would turn as red as red could be. And it is a fun little experiment if you ever get a chance. But listen to me. You read that book that is, that is inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, and you will understand that, that sexual desire in marriage is right and it's healthy. It's not something to be shunned in marriage. Right? But here's the problem. Because we live in a broken world and because Satan likes to cause issues and, and, and because women more naturally connect with this emotional intimacy and, and men more naturally connect with physical intimacy, what happens is we kind of get out of balance in marriage. And I do a lot of marriage counseling, and I, and I hear and I see a lot of these examples um, that are a lot like that video there that we watched. That's a lot like that if sex is going to happen, it's going to be um, either it's going to feel for a woman like it's coerced, right? Or it's going to feel for a man like it's a concession. But that's not the way God designed it, because these needs are critically important in marriage, and sex matters. That's why Paul takes the time to teach us about it. And so we think of it this way, right? The, the need for, for most women, not all, but for most women is this, is this emotional connection of talking at the end of the day. And so imagine that if you came home and, and you sat down next to your husband and this is what you've been waiting for, right? It's the moment you're going to talk. You're going to tell him about your day. You're going to tell him about the kids. You're going to tell him about what you've been thinking. You're going to tell him about your hopes and dreams for the vacation that you've been planning and all of the different thoughts that you've had throughout the course of the day. You're going to tell him. And because he loves you, he's going to sit and he's going to listen. And this is what you expect. And you're going to connect in this way. And so you sit down with him and you're like, listen, I want to tell you some stuff. And he's like, ooh, again? Didn't you just tell me stuff two days ago? Like, all right, look, look, I know it's my job as your husband to listen right? So try not to take too long and go ahead and tell me what you need to tell me. Make it quick, right? We would say, if, if that were his attitude, right, we would say, oh my goodness, that is ridiculous. That's terrible. That's awful. That should never be his attitude about emotionally connecting with his spouse. I've had that conversation sitting around the table in my office. This is not good. Don't do this, right? You need to invest, right? Because it matters. But listen, it doesn't feel any differently for him when he comes with his sexual desires and needs that are God-given, and you're like, oh, and didn't we just do that two days ago? Really? Even though you know I don't really want to, you want to do this? And, and so somehow there's this shame-inducing, like, it, it's this fine, I will if I have to. Make it quick. Right? Let's not drag this out. And what we say we, we, we know is not okay on one hand, yet we kind of just— Oh, well, that's the way it is on the other. But that's not the way that God intended this. There's supposed to be mutual desire in a relationship. And, and, and I want to say this. There's a couple things to know here. One is that there are a lot of things that can, that can jack up mutual desire in a marriage. Abuse. Abuse for one. Past trauma. 
past trauma and baggage that now have nothing to do with the marriage, but they're brought into the marriage, that can bring difficulties into this relationship. And so I want to say, if that's the case, look, be patient and get help. It's an awkward thing to talk about, but be patient with one another and get help, right? Because when you bring that baggage into a marriage, it completely messes with your dynamic, but it doesn't really have anything to do with you, but yet it's there and it does and it has to be worked through. And so get help, counseling, right? And be patient with one another. The other thing that can really mess this up is trust. If somebody in the marriage isn't acting honorably, then this really can mess up this dual desire for one another in marriage. And when I say acting honorably, I'm not just talking about extramarital affairs. But I'm talking about things that marginalize sex. Pornography. Even watching things with naked people having sex in just a movie. Even watching things with implied sex in TV shows and movies. These things, if we're not careful, can, can create trust issues within a relationship that really, then where we're supposed to have this mutual desire for one another, it really starts to bring it down. We have to be careful. I, I would say this. If, if, you're, if your sex life in your marriage is not what you desire it to be, or if this doesn't apply to you, but, but you know, somebody has the, the, the courage to ask you for advice or prayer, then this is something that you can tell them. If it's not what you desire it to be in marriage, one of the first things to do is take a look at, am I honoring sex outside the marriage? Am I doing everything it takes to honor this outside of the marriage? Because if I'm not, then there's a good place to start. And so I'll just say this too. Um, there are a couple of ingredients, and this is not just for, for your sex life, but just for intimacy and marriage um, in general. But companionship, commitment, passion, and don't sleep on spiritual intimacy. In fact, one of the things we're going to read in, in the next chunk of Scripture that Paul says, um, you should only deprive one another of sex in marriage if it's mutually agreed upon and the whole goal of this is so that you can spend this time really digging into and building your relationship with God. Because when you build your relationship with God as a couple, what you know is that that will strengthen the intimacy emotionally and physically of your marriage. Right? I know it sounds, it sounds a little weird, but, but the better connected you and your spouse are to God, the better connected you will be to one another. And yes, individually that works, but when you're connected to God together, it's even more beautiful. So the more you pray together, the more you study the more you, not necessarily you sit down together and you read the same things, but the more that you're, that you're talking about the Word of God together and you're sharing what you're learning and what God's doing and, and you're having, the more that happens, then the more intimate you and your spouse will be just because you're growing more intimate with God together. The more you share the mission of God, the more you share the mission of God together, the more intimate you and your spouse will be together. Spiritual intimacy, when that's lacking, your emotional and physical intimacy in, in your marriage kind of goes out the window, and that's one of the ways that Satan can kind of creep in. And, and Paul tells us about this because he knows that's what he wants to do. He says, look, be on guard. We go back to the beginning of this text. He says, because there is so much sexual immorality. Like, he, he says, I want to tell you about husbands and wives and sex together. Why? Because there is so much sexual immorality. You've got to be on guard. 
And, and then he comes back here and he says, so don't deprive each other unless you agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer, right? So, so sex is so critically important in marriage. The only time you deprive one another of it, the only time you mutually say, let's not do this, is because you are digging in more to your relationship with God. Then afterwards, come together again. Because if you don't, here's what he says, Satan might be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. He says, so come again, come together again, so Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Listen, sex and marriage is important because it binds us together, but it's also important because this is a way that Satan wants to ruin you. He just wants to ruin you. You remember the anatomy of a sin from James? James 1, 14 and 15. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires, right, give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. And here's the thing. People don't plan on sinning most of the time. I mean, sometimes we do. Sometimes we just do it with our eyes wide open and we know. But most of the times what happens is we stumble into it. And then when we get stuck in the middle of sin, we we open our eyes and we look around and we say, oh my goodness, how in the world did I get here? Well, I know how you got there. James tells us how you got there. Came from your own desires, which enticed you and drug you away. And usually slowly, right? Usually it drags you away very slowly. But sooner or later, you end up getting stuck. And when you get stuck, here's what happens. Um, Sin grows and it gives birth to this thing that you thought was going to be great. And it ends up being death. Francis Chan talks about there that, that, that word for, it's not something I never realized until I was listening to his, uh, his teaching on this, but that word for death, that it gives birth to death, is the same language that you would use for a stillborn baby. It's that graphic. It's this giving birth. It's this, it's this fullness to term. It's like you think it's going to be what you want. You think it's going to be what you desire. You think it's going to be this thing that fulfills. You think it's going to be great. And then when it finally comes to fruition, it basically gives birth to this dead thing that isn't anything like you wanted. It's a bastardization. It's not real. You, you, you wanted it here, and you ended up with this that's not anything close. It's, it's the best that Satan could offer you, and it's death. You've got to be really careful here. And listen, this is, a, this is a warning for men and women alike. Right? And I know we think, well, with, with sexual temptation, that's got to be more for men. Well, no, first of all, the good research tells us that, that not as many women, but a lot of women are involved in, um, in sexual sin also, with pornography and with other things. But here's the other thing that it teaches us. Right? That because for women— the need is this emotional connection, right? Sometimes it's easier for women to find themselves. I've had so many conversations like this. It's easier for women to find themselves in a situation where they're like, how did I get to an affair? How did I get here? And it's sometimes easier for that to happen because here's what happens. It it starts easy. The temptation comes from our own desires. And the own desire that I have is for this in th- this, this emotional connection. And I don't feel like I'm getting that. But, but you know what? I need this emotional connection. And this person talks to me. This person asks me. This person, you know, sits down with me at break at work and, and chats with me and makes me feel important. 
right? And, and so we move a little bit closer to here where we start sharing more intimate details and more intimate conversation, right? And, 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 and then we get to this point where all of a sudden this has blossomed into something that's sexual desire that I haven't, I haven't felt for my spouse because all of these other things are happening. And then the next thing you know, sin is allowed to grow and it gives birth to death. We got to be really cautious about this, men and women. Listen, you don't need close relationships of the opposite sex. You just don't need them. Right? It, it, you know, for me, if I've got good girlfriends, that's a problem. Like all of the women friends that I have need to be part of Carrie and I and our situation. I mean, I can have close friends with women in the context of my marriage, not outside of it. Right? We got to be really careful about this. You don't have work husbands and you don't have work wives. Knock that off. Quit that. It's not appropriate, right? And it seems like it's fine, but here's the thing. It's, it's this temptation that comes from your own desire and you start to play with it and you start to get closer to the line and you think, I'll never cross the line. And the next thing you know, you're 12 steps past the line and you don't know what happened. I'd be cautious because Satan is really good at this. Here's the, here's the thing that Satan does with physical intimacy. He will do everything he can to get you together before or outside of marriage. Satan will use every tool at his disposal to try to get you together outside of marriage. Then inside of marriage, Satan will use every tool at his disposal to try to keep you apart. But we aren't unwise to his schemes. We know what he's about. We know what God has ordained is good, and it's worth fighting for. So here's my encouragement to you. Don't forget your 30-day challenge. Right? For those of you that, that have been here, we've talked about this for 30 days. We said that, that men, you were going to chase your wives for 30 days. Not literally. Some of you have bad hips. But figuratively, you were going to chase your wives for 30 You were going to do the things that you did when you were courting them. Is that a word people still use? Right? When you were chasing them. When you were trying to convince them that you were the one for them when you were trying to win them, right? Do those things. Wives, we asked you to, to kind of, um, let's see, what was the nice way we said? Bite your tongue. That was the nice way we said it. Yes, bite your tongue. We've had, be careful. Like, like to, to work hard to demonstrate respect. Don't nag, Right? First Peter tells us that we can actually win each other over by our godly behavior. Even if you're the only one engaging at this point. Even if you're the only one trying hard. Men, by loving and chasing your wives. Even if they're not engaging and trying hard in your marriage, you can actually win them over by what you're doing. Wives, Peter tells us that, that even if they're not trying to love you better, just by biting your tongue and trying to be respectful of them, what you can do is you can win them over. So this matters. So 30 days, we, we asked you to try that, right? But, but here's the other thing that I want you to know. When we talk about this level of intimacy, it seems weird and foreign to some of us. And the reason it seems weird and foreign to some of us is this. Because we've not really ever experienced unconditional love. And it is really hard to talk about unconditionally loving somebody else if you haven't ever genuinely experienced unconditional love for yourself. 
And so my encouragement to you is this, like, like if this seems foreign because you don't know this level of intimacy that we're talking about, talking about giving or receiving, and it all sounds like it's just, um, you know, some silly thing. Listen, there is a God in heaven who wants to love you unconditionally. He does love you unconditionally. And he wants to be in a relationship with you. And he desires to be in a relationship with you. So much so that, that he sent his one and only son to die. And, and in his death, he made propitiation. That means he took all of your sin. If you'll let him, he took all of your sin onto himself. That's unconditional love. God loves you that much. He sent his son to die for you. Jesus willingly going to the cross, taking your sin onto himself so that when you say, yes, Jesus, I've got sin in my life and I don't want to carry it anymore, I give it to you and I turn my life over to you. I'm going to live my life for you instead. That, that makes you a new creation. That makes you a Christian, that makes you born again, that makes you right with God. And what it does is it allows you to experience the fullness of this unconditional love, this intimacy with your Father in heaven. And, and when that happens, that puts you in a position to pursue it with your spouse. I just tell you, if you, if you need to know more about surrendering to Jesus and, and, and understanding this unconditional love from God so that right? You are free from sin, and you are a new person in Christ, and you are a a new creation, and you are born again, and you are a Christian. And and then what that means for then the rest of your relationships, then don't go away without us having a conversation. I'll sit up here for a minute. Let's talk about that. But my encouragement to you is that you can't have this oneness in your relationship with a partner, with a spouse, if you don't have this relationship with Christ. Not really. Don't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we love you so much, and and we just praise you for who you are. God, we thank you for sex. We thank you for for sex that that is designed to be expressed intimately within the confines of a biblical marriage, and that it's a beautiful responsibility and privilege of marriage. We thank you that you created it for our joy and for our oneness. Father, I I just pray in my own marriage and in the marriages of people that are here or people that are listening online that that we would experience this oneness in marriage the way that you've intended. God, and that in doing that, we we would put away and step away and turn away from all of the counterfeit things that the world has been trying to give us. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for grace. We thank you for the fact that even if we have messed it up, you are willing to help us start fresh. That there is hope if we just turn to you and put everything else aside. Father, we love you and we praise you and we thank you. Amen.